If you guys were a warlock patron, what kind would you be? What do you mean by like what kind? Like what as kind? In- like there's so many different kind. Like you could be a fae, you could be undead, you could be. I would just like, be a lich bitch. I don't know. Yeah. Lich like bitch. Undead one. Yeah, undead, hundred percent. Or Faye. Yeah, I could do Faye, but no, definitely yeah. undead. There's like genie too. That would be a fun one. Nah. You don't no. cast. You don't. You don't grant your own wishes when you're. Yeah. A genie. That's <laughs> no, that's the thing. It's like yeah. That's the thing. I'd be a great old one, as literally the oldest one on the podcast. I would be a great old one. Also, I have psychic powers. I could control Dan. Yeah. <laughs> That's poor Dan. <laughs> really? We are beyond poor Dan by a fucking <laughs> Dan knows Nara. what he did. <laughs> Does he though? Like <laughs> he knew once he chose to forget. So that's fair. That's fair. What yeah. about you, Peps? What would you be? Um, I mean, my obvious answer is like Tiamat, if I could. I don't know where she would fall necessarily. Um, but she's a warlock patron though. She's a legit I, but goddess. she could be. She could be if you there's no and this is to. the thing that drives me nuts. <laughs> you know better than anybody else, dragons are not warlock patrons. They can give yeah. you all sorts of gifts and boons and feats and everything else. And you can worship them as gods, but they are not warlock patrons, which drives me up the fucking wall. Yeah. I mean, I would I would just make it happen. But um probably an archfey. <laughs> if we're going yeah. off the list. You just want to be like a sparkly, yeah. happy go lucky, but ruin your life at the same time kind yes. of guy. Yeah. A hundred percent. Fuck around, find out. We'll be the your title. Workiest fucking archfey and then just destroy you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We love that about you, Peps. I'm just gonna be outwardly angry and just be a lich and be like, yeah. nope. And then if you fuck around, I'll just come back and be like, huzzah. (laughs) I love that you're like lich. (laughs) That's your catchphrase. Huzzah. (laughs) You just show up. You like, huzzah. (laughs) God damn it, Megan. (laughs) Death. Welcome to another Halloween episode on the It's a Mimic channel, where we continue our conversation on Warlock Patrons in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Pepperina and Megan, and this episode is called Warlock Patrons, Supporting the Hex Workers. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters will be looking at different flavors and opportunities from three different Warlock Patrons, the Archfey, the Hexblade, and the Undying. These are actually the last three that are available at this point. So if you're interested in fiends, great old ones, undead, celestials, fathomless, and genie patrons, go check out our previous episodes. Before we get into it, though, I want to ask you guys, what is your current experience with having 5th edition warlocks at your table? Let's uh, roll dice. Sure. Sorry, my cat's meowing. I hope you can't hear him. (laughs) He's outside. (laughs) My dog's barking outside, so I also hope you can't hear that. Great. My geckos don't make noise, so no, I'm winning. That's yeah. fair. I rolled a nine, by the way. My snake does not make noise. I also rolled a nine. Roll oh, off. Four. Five. Well, I got a two. So, Peps, you're going. <laughs> All right. Um, I have been a warlock at in a game. Um, oh, in D and D, or yeah, in, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> also in life. 
Um, yes, I've played a warlock before. Um, her name was Shiva. She was packed of the chains mostly so I could get a little pseudo dragon because that's what you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, his name was Spike. Was and, that a land? You know, what, is that a land before time reference? No, it's a Buffy reference. Fine. <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. yeah. Two different worlds. <laughs> it can be whatever you want it to be, Megan. Uh, but I feel like we've had a lot of warlocks at our tables, and I don't know. The experience is Eldritch Blast. Hmm. Hmm. I I have built weirdly enough a hexblade um, warlock once myself. But I only played it for like one session. It was like it was supposed to be one of those campaigns that lasted multiple sessions, and it lasted one session and then died, like Mm -hmm. like a classic D and D campaign does. Uh, So I never really got into it, into it. But it was a neat way to build a character. But man, was it complex! And then at the table, I've played with other players who have done warlocks, like in longer like campaigns but it's usually they become a warlock by accident they don't necessarily build a warlock but something happens where they eventually have to make a pact with someone to make something happen and then become a warlock by accident so it's not necessarily the character that they built or the character they wanted but ended up with in the end and it usually ends up being a problem (laughs) so (laughs) that's my current experience with warlocks (laughs) yeah i had a warlock at the table that was their their patron became a problem for all of us we got stuck in a bottle yeah like great thanks (laughs) thanks for that thanks kevin (laughs) i'm assuming kevin is the name of the patron (laughs) i hope so yeah oh man um all of my experience with warlocks i have yet to have a campaign without a fucking warlock although it's my own damn fault because i keep encouraging my players to make deals with superpowered entities and then giving them shit I currently have, let me see, I have cursed Terry with a warlock patron. I've cursed Dan with a warlock patron. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, who do I have now? Mieka's a warlock. Charlie was talking about taking levels in it, but I think he went bard instead. Yeah, he went sorcerer bard or whatever. Yeah. And I sat down with Dan. I mean, spoiler alert for you, Megan. Great. I sat down with Dan because he's not allowed to multi-class this campaign, right? Yeah, I did tell him that I am going to take our entire party and actually let everybody level up to level 21 instead of level 20 <gasps> for this one, which means he is going to take a level in Warlock at some point. He has asked and he's like, this is kind of what I want to play with, um, but I don't want it to interrupt my progression at all. And I said, we can we can work that in for storyline reasons. So I'm going to I hand out levels of Warlock to people all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to say. Everybody dips one to three levels into it, and I get it, that's great. But playing with an actual, like, Mieka's a, got five levels in Warlock, and I think she might be, she hasn't realized this yet, she might be the most powerful player at the table. Like, her character might just, with all of her invocations or Eldritch invocations for her Eldritch Blast, she is fucking up enemies at a greater distance and more consistently than anyone else and she's got battlefield control and then spells on top of it like i'm legitimately impressed with how a celestial warlock is looking right now so um she hasn't figured it out yet and i keep designing (laughs) encounters as if she does know uh but she doesn't so here we go i love mine stole like the book of the damned or like the necronomicon or something from the underworld Oh, like yeah? that's how yeah that's how our campaign ended during covid was she she stole like the most powerful book 
That sounds familiar. Uh-huh. Yeah. And gave it to our patron. Yeah, our our Necronomicon is out in the world and it's in the hands of the worst person that can possibly have it right now. So Casey. <laughs> Casey's old character, yes. It's, it's an issue. It's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um so before we go any further, I just want to point out that the very first round of okay, so when the podcast first kicked off. I sat down and I'm like, how can we make, how can we do class-based episodes without just being this long, drawn-out four-hour, here are all the subclasses and here's the mechanics and shit. And I feel like we came up with a pretty good pretty good um, method. But we got about halfway through it, and then one of our listeners, uh, Crystal, right at the very beginning of all this, she's the one that baked us a cake, and we like struggled through a ridiculous amount of icing, and like it was so rich. I watched Terry and Dan go into diabetic comas directly in front of me about Amazing. halfway through that episode. And like, yeah. it was so good. But she asked, can you guys cover hex blades first? She's playing a hex blade at the time. And we were kind of going like, what's in the player's handbook first. And she's, but she specifically asked for that one. And so we covered them, but that was like episode, I don't know, 40 something. We're at 240 now. It has been like three and a half years. I do not remember how hex blades work. I've never seen one at my table because well, they've all been packed of whatever, but like uh, what I've seen fiends, I've seen great old ones and I've seen celestials now, but I don't know. Hex blades the one that doesn't make an ounce of fucking sense to me until I started like doing the research for this episode. If you guys like Megan, you said you built a hex blade. I built a hex blade once. Yes. So have you, have you seen one or played with one or do you not to my knowledge? Yeah. So anyway, this is gonna be a lot of different games though. So maybe yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So and I mean the key thing to remember here, yes, I've built one before, but it was one of the one of the first characters I ever built for fifth edition way like a while back. And like I didn't really know what I was building because I never built a warlock previous to that. So I never really had the base knowledge of what a warlock represented to be able to actually know what the difference was at the time. Whereas now I know more about a regular warlock. do about the character that i built so uh, it was interesting to go back and read about it yeah fair enough Uh, like i say it's been a while for me as well we're going to talk about the flavor of it more than the mechanics in in this episode so Mm -hmm. if anybody wants to like dig into hexboy go check out our first warlock episode uh it's one of the ones we cover there yeah i'm gonna go over a little bit about the hexblade like giving a bit of an overview for you folks um i did write in a couple of mechanics because i feel like they kind of like dive into why and how like it, it just makes sense to bring it up because anyway uh, i'll get started yeah it's just we did all <laughs> the like the what are your inspirations and how to build characters with it and all that we did the big deep dig deep, into deep, it yeah yeah, yeah. so um so to give you kind of a quick overview uh the hexblade warlock is again they operate a little bit differently the main difference being that instead of making packs directly with a fiend or a demon or a fey kind of like what we were just talking to they actually make a pact with a sentient weapon that's built from the darkness of the shadow fell it's like the easiest sentence you could probably to like cone that into like a you know something easy to explain and the features unfortunately i will dig into them but that's because it, it explains how that works one of the things i really liked about them at level one you get uh, a whole bunch of spells right away but they're very different spells than you would think for a warlock they get smites which means they are melee martial weaponed characters so that's like so it, it goes into the fact that they do carry weapons they use the weapon that is sentient so on and so forth and they get smites like branding smite staggering smite banishing smite wrathful smite they get 
a lot of smites. So I think the first thing you need to understand about this warlock in comparison to others is you are going to be in melee range specifically because you want to fight them and hit them with your 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 weapons, right? There, there's a very like popular build online um, called a padlock, which is one half paladin, one half warlock. Yeah. And it leans into the hexblade specifically yeah. because it goes hand in hand with a paladin absolutely because like as a bonus right away you get uh proficiency in medium armor shields and martial weapons which no other warlock on the planet is going to get unless you do some kind of a weird crazy build also once per long rest you get to choose one of the weapons that you're carrying and you utilize your charisma score like your charisma mod instead of like strength or whatever to attack because as a warlock you are a charisma based spellcaster. So it kind of forces you to use both, which is really neat. Being with the Hexblade, you have the ability to curse a person. So uh, if you're within 30 feet of someone, you basically curse them. And then for that combat, you gain the ability to add your proficiency bonus to all damage rolls against them. You now critical on a 19 or 20. Uh, and if they die, you gain hit points of your Warlock level plus charisma score. So and then you can't then you can redo that curse after a short rest. So you can be constantly cursing. <laughs> other really cool things that you get for them is that you get the uh, curse specter which basically means after you've killed someone you can raise them as a ghost that helps you you just use the stat block that's in the monster manual at 10th level you get the ability uh, called uh armor of hexes which means that whoever you decide to curse has to roll a d6 and on a four or higher their attack just fucking misses you so again all these like pieces build into the fact that you are making a pact with a weapon that is helping yeah. you be a martial class so again, this is like people would also automatically think, how is this different from the Pact of the Blade? Well, the Pact of the Blade is very simple in the sense that the weapon that you have is fleeting. It has to be manifested, maintained, and disappears under certain circumstances. So you also just don't get the benefits of being a fighter where you get the increase to armors and all those kinds of things, right? So like you're not a martial class with Pact of the Blade. It's just a an additive that you get for being a warlock and a magic caster and a magic user. So they definitely think, have a different feel. Do you think the two of them go together? Like, if you're going to be one, you should be the other? I don't think so. I see literally no benefit in doing that. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you would agree and or disagree, but like uh, Pact of the Blade, you basically have to manifest the weapon that you use. Whereas like as a pack, as a hex blade, you just have the weapon and you can use any weapon on your person. If as long as at the beginning of your long rest, you say, this is the weapon I'm using. Like, it just makes no sense to me. <laughs> Do I do I have to point at my junk like you just did? Yes, this is do. the weapon I'm using. <laughs> That's the only way it works, right? So I don't know. It just seems very stupid to waste time manifesting a weapon when you, as a hexblade warlock, you would be carrying weapons with you. I feel like you could make your pack to the blade weapon your chosen hex block, uh, hexblade weapon. Um, I have no problem with that. The only reason I would say that anyone should do that is because you don't have to actually carry it with you. You get captured, you go behind enemy lines, you have to give up all of your shit. I mean, how many times, Megan, have you ended up like, oh, we don't have any of our gear because we are in jail or we had to, we're on a diplomatic mission or whatever. We got teleported away from all of our shit. And then having the one character go, oh, except I have my badass sword, right? Just out mm -hmm. of the ether, right? So that would be the one use case scenario i could say yeah double that up but i think you're right you don't have to double it up by any means. no and like and again like any sword you get you can turn into your awesome weapon so should you suddenly like get one guard and take like the dagger you'd be like great now i have this badass dagger but at the end of the day i think that, that those are the main key points is that um you're not making a pact with another human being 
there are things where like some of the weapons that you would choose to be kind of like your main hexblade weapon, maybe a magical item that belonged to a stronger fiend, fey, or demon that could have a really cool tie-in and effect, um, which, you know, some of them are actually spoken to that they would have a weapon or a staff that could be retrieved. And if that's your your main weapon, I think that's a cool, like, inspirational tie-in to use. But otherwise, the, the main goal is you are a warlock, you use charisma to spell cast, but you fight with a weapon. So, but yeah. That's now, it, it, right. it says in the lore part of the Hexblade that um, there's a mighty sword named Black Razor, which is mm-hmm. the most notable sentient weapon um, that is similar to a Hexblade. Yeah. Now, that's the thing is all of these blades are sentient. That's fucking wild. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really get into it in any of the mechanics, right? It's a throwaway line in the first paragraph of the lore. But, like, if you've got a Hexblade Warlock, it should very, very much have a, have a, a personality and an attitude to it, right? Yeah, like a voice, yeah. right? Not not, not even yeah. just, like, a voice, but, like, a tood, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It's all there are about, I'm going to say, six famous swords that just go from edition to edition over and over and over again. Um, they, they are famous to the same degree as the Hand and Eye of Vecna. Or the Book of Many Things. These are like legendary items that every D&D player should know. We have seen it. We haven't really seen Black Razor specifically uh, in 5th edition. I don't think it's popped up in any of the adventures the way that some of the other shit has. However, it fucking should. And it's Mm -hmm. one of the most badass um, uh, items in the entire game. I think, Peps, you were digging into it? Yes. So, Black Razor is a greatsword that is considered a legendary item and must be attuned to by a non-lawful creature. When wielding the sword, you gain plus three to attack and damage rolls, and it is said to be found deep in a dungeon of the White Plume Mountains. And if you happen to find it, you will see a sword that is adorned with pieces of cut obsidian, so it shines like the night sky filled with stars. While that sounds super cool and pretty, um, you should know this unique blade does have some interesting quirks and abilities. So it likes to devour souls. Like, it believes that's its job. All matter and energy came from a void of negative energy, and it is meant to return it there. Due to this, it kind of needs your help. Um, Every time you use this weapon to drop something to zero hit points, it will devour the soul of that creature unless it is a construct or undead. When it does, it grants you temporary HP equal to the creature's maximum hit points. While you have these hit points, you get advantage on attack rolls, saving throws, and ability checks. And these temporary hit points will fade in 24 hours if not used. So if you're in a battle against a lot of things and you kill a lot of things, you get hit points equal to all of those things maximums. So you would be like stacked for a while. Um, However, if you do hit an undead creature with Black Razor, then you take 1d10 necrotic damage and the thing you hit gains 1d10 hit points. If you die from this drain then the blade devours your soul. To give you some extra help finding souls to feed it, 
you can sense the presence of any creature size tiny or larger within 60 feet of you, except for constructs and undead. Is there smaller than tiny? In previous editions, we used to have diminutive. We don't okay. have that anymore. Diminutive was things like bugs. So tiny was like small dogs and cats down to mm-hmm. like rats and stuff. Diminutive was anything smaller than a rat. Okay. Mm. So basically any creature you can see um, yeah, within right. 60 feet of you. Um, you also can't be charmed or frightened. The sword has the ability to cast haste on you once per day, and it decides when it wants to do so. Um, it also holds concentration on it, so it doesn't take up yours. Being sentient, Black Razor has a few of its own stats. It is chaotic neutral with an intelligence score of 17. It has an average wisdom score and a 19 to charisma. It has hearing and dark vision of 120 feet. It can telepathically communicate to its wielder and share all of its languages and can speak, read, and understand common on its own. I spent way too long when I read that thinking about how exactly this weapon reads. (laughs) (laughs) Like picturing that in my head. Um, Is it just forcing its like patron to, or its its warlock to like hold it over a book and yelling at it to flip the pages? Could you imagine? (laughs) Yeah. Like with (laughs) eyes glowing and it's like, flip. (laughs) I am done. (laughs) I always thought of it more like it can see the runes on the fucking walls in the dungeon. And Mm -hmm. so when the giant sign in common says left towards exit and everyone's trying to leave, and your warlock starts to go right to explore that direction, Black is going to pop into his head and be like, no, fuck nuts, left. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of the, <laughs> like, it's aware of of script that it can see. But uh-huh. yeah, I the idea of holding your sword over a scroll. Yeah. <laughs> so that it can understand it better it than you do. It? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I cannot trust you to read this. I need to read it for myself. Please hold me over this scroll. <laughs> yeah, hold my scroll. Give me a second. Yeah. <laughs> I spent like half a day picturing that in my head and giggling. <laughs> I love that about uh, you. <laughs> Another fun little quirk of this sword is that it wishes to be reunited with two other weapons in the White Plume Mountains named Whelm and Wave. Its dream is to be in battle once more with these two, even though it finds Wave to be rather tedious and violently disagrees with Whelm. Now, the most important thing to remember while being attuned to Black Razor is that its hunger for souls is so deep it cares not what soul it devours, including yours. So if you don't feed it within three days, it will have some words for you by the following sunset. Feed me. Feed me. <laughs> feed me or I eat you. Yeah. <laughs> it just starts picking off your whole party one by one. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I have for Black Razor. I fucking love Black Razor. I have used Black Razor in a couple of old campaigns, although I haven't brought it out in anything recent because I figured between Dan and now Dave, and I assumed Megan, but I didn't know for certain that you guys knew Black Razor's stick already. So no point in throwing an intelligent, angry, feed me like sword into my campaign. Um, However, I was wrong as you were talking like, oh yeah, White Plume Mountain. I'm like, oh, Fuck, that actually got printed in Tales from the Yawning Portal. So it actually is there. You can swing by and pick that up if your DM will let you. Yeah, so just jaunt on through. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's easy. Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. So one of the interesting things that's also in 
in Xanathar's, which is where the Hexblade is found, is that it mentions specifically for the Hexblade that uh, Hexblade warlocks tend to um, get their, their items specifically from the Raven Queen herself. Now, there's almost no information in 5th edition about the Raven Queen. And the Raven Queen is one of the more popular uh, deities out there for a lot of people because of Critical Role. Critical Role had a Raven Queen-esque character uh, in Season 1, who's actually popped up in the cartoon show on Amazon. So it's really popular. It's something that people can really wrap their brains around because it's straightforward and it's easy. However, when you get into actual D&D lore in the Forgotten Realms, the Raven Queen is a little bit different than what you would have seen on Critical Role. So um, she's actually relatively new to the D&D landscape. She appeared for the first time in 4th edition, and she is not really a god. She is just a presence from the Shadowfell. Uh, I'm going to explain kind of uh, some of the rumors about where she comes from in a couple of minutes here, but she's not a goddess. She's just worshipped as a goddess by the Shattered Kai. Also, she's super fucking powerful and very, very linked to the dead. She officially doesn't manifest as a corporeal being. You're never going to see her in the shadows or have a conversation with her. But she does appear as symbols, icons, images, shadows, feelings, and sounds. So her presence is very, very much felt. But And you can perceive her presence, but you're not going to have a talk with the person, right? The way that Groomsh couldn't could manifest as a person. Tiamat could manifest in a physical form. We don't get that with the Raven Queen. Fan art depicts mysterious dark-haired goth women in attire that is reminiscent of like black wings. She's usually surrounded by ravens, raven skulls, feathers, all that kind of iconography. It's very fucking Adam's family. Um, and I, en I enjoyed Peps and I's agreed, like, not head of approval of just <laughs> long-haired oh, black yeah. goth bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I I've feel got like some... Terry is also somewhere nodding his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's his, it's his goth girlfriend. Um, but uh, no, we uh, we used to have a bunch of fourth edition books. They got stolen with a bunch of my other shit years ago. I still have a couple. I couldn't find any reference to her in the books that I have. Um, so I went hunting around and I did find that there is art of her that really lines up with all of that shit and some of the Wizards magazines that came out around the time of fourth edition. But I don't believe there's a, a true proper official version or image of uh the raven queen if somebody online has a book take a picture throw it up in the reddit or or if it's one of patrons in the discord but i would love to be able to see what the official version of this this woman is but as we're going to get to her being able to manifest a corporeal form is problematic for her so uh what is known about her is that she's a collector much like ravens are but instead of like shiny baubles and stuff, while she does collect items and keepsakes, it's not about being shiny or being expensive or or having some sort of like big legendary purpose. They just need to hold significance to certain memories and feelings and vibes, usually tragedy and loss. So sometimes the souls of the dead are, are what she's looking uh, to collect, and she always collects and protects the souls of all Shatter Kai. She is considered to be a goddess of death, even though she does not impact the dead, and she's not a true goddess. So 
She's also rumored to have created the first shadow weapons. In 5th edition, they just said, yep, she did it. But up until like all the stuff in 4th edition was, maybe she made a black razor. Maybe she she's created these dark shadow weapons. Of, and then the Hexblade came out. They're like, yeah, she's known to have done this. I'm like, fuck. All right. Thanks. I love that progression of like, she did a thing. She may have done a thing. No, no, she probably did a thing. It was her. She mm-hmm. did it. <laughs> yeah. We get that a lot in, in D&D where in whatever previous edition, when someone first shows up, it's like rumors have it. It's a big, deep, mysterious, blah, 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 blah. And then when they like summarize it for the next edition and they bring it all in, they only have like six paragraphs to do a whole pantheon. They'll just straight up say, yep, this happened. And I'm like, ah, keep it vague. Keep it weird. It's more fun that way. But um, as far as weird and vague, though, she is a bit of a mystery. Nobody knows her motivations. Um, Some people think she's just fucking insane. Uh, Other people think that she has a method to her madness. And what she's doing is she collects these items so that when people die, she forces their souls to face their personal demons by confronting them with the items that have mattered the most to their own tragedy and loss in life. And therefore, they have to deal with her before moving on to the afterlife. And they have to make uh, some sort of amends or come to terms with their tragedy by by witnessing and beholding these items again. The only person that might actually know what the Raven Queen's goals are is the Lady of Pain. The Lady of Pain is actually, like, we're recording this early in October. She is fucking featured. She has a chapter uh, or a a decent, like, subsection all to herself in Planescape uh, Adventures in the Multiverse, which comes out in, like, three days. So I don't want to weigh in on her yet, but we will touch on her in some episode in the future. But the Lady of Pain runs uh, Sigil, which is the capital city of, I believe it's the Plain of Fire. Um, and this in the um and Sigil is known as the City of Brass. And she's just this weird, enigmatic character that just is creepy as all fuck. So I feel uh, like covering her <clears throat> in an episode should be done by the ladies of the mimic. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Calling it now. <laughs> Well, I know what guys I'm not going to ask to cover the Lady of Pain. I've got a good solid <laughs> list of do not cover in this. Oh, uh, no, we'll, we'll give her some justice, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but also probably drool a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And, 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 but and in the most respectful of... way. In the respectfully. most respectfully. Respectfully. Yeah. The and that's why, the, that's why the dudes won't do it, because they'll be drooling in a disrespectful way. <laughs> yeah. With all due disrespect, gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, can you, go on, go on. Uh, there are two different locations that are associated with the Raven Queen. The first one is called the Fortress of Memories. And this is where the Shatterkai leave her offerings of these important items that they somehow know. It's not clear how they know. They somehow know we need to get these items. We need to bring them to the Fortress of Memories. And they are just like, there's large halls full of these important um, emotionally intense or um, or specifically m- like memorable for whatever reason items that are there that are important to mortals. This area is also likely haunted because that's how ghosts work too, right? And so when someone dies, if they cannot come to some sort of uh, resolution regarding this item, they might just hang around. That's not in the lore. That's just common sense to me. That's how ghosts work in D&D. Uh, the other thing that she collects in here are pieces and aspects of dead gods. However, she herself does not actually live here. This is just where all of her offerings are. She 
lives in a dark domain, a domain of dread known as Latherna, but she's not like captured in there like Strahd is or some of the others. Uh, this is just a castle of black ice that's in a frozen forest in the Shadowfell, but she like it's her own personal domain that you'd have to travel to. Newly dead souls have to go through Latherna to pass through on their way to the afterlife, and this is where she confronts them in here. Her past is an absolute mystery, but there are a couple of legends. Some believe that she was a sorceress who tried to replace the god of death in Hades, and she was very nearly successful when the other gods found out she was doing this. And then they panicked because they didn't want another tyrannical asshole running the fucking realm of death. So they actually like sped up the whole process. They expediated everything. They gave her a bunch of power so she could ascend faster, but she never got to finish her ritual as a, as a result of this. And uh, therefore, she's now a goddess of death who has no control over the dead and has trouble manifesting appropriately because they just ramped her up through it too quickly. Some believe, and this is the more popular theory, and this is what the Shatter Kai believe, um, that she was an elven queen in the Feywild eons ago. And she saw the battle between Corallon and Lolf when the elven pantheon was actually split in two. She saw this happening. and She tried to rally the magical power from the souls of her followers to ascend to godhood and help Corallon and reunite all the gods and fix the pantheon. And all of her followers, which were the Shatter Kai at that time, keeping in mind, they were all just fake creatures, right? Like, kind of Eladrini at this point. Um, they all brought their most powerful, significant magical weapons and all of their, their magic power. And they said, yes, here, take it all. And during the rituals and, and the sacrifices of important magical items, some dark wizards that were like, that had infiltrated her, uh, her followers, they actually tried to steal and siphon off some of her powers. She was nearly a god when she found out the ritual was almost complete and she became enraged. So she attempted to punish the wizards, but this corrupted the whole process. And before it could be completed, she and her followers were sucked into the Shadowfell. She died, but her new powers manifested and she became a discombobulated series of essences, perceptions, and feelings. The evil wizards were warped and twisted into Negpa, which if you guys are not familiar, we will cover them in the future too. They are really high-powered, uh, like evil vulture hags that... Uh, just exist out in the multiverse trying to find their home and just being evil as all fuck they got corrupted because in her final moments she was falling into insanity and sorrow for the fact that the the rituals didn't work the pantheon would never be fixed and the elves would never be whole again her shatter kai were linked forever to the shadow fell as a result of this both loth and Corallon saw her attempted ascension as treason and so what they ended up doing is they wiped the memory of her and her followers and her being from all elves in all of the domains of everywhere else. She nearly disappeared completely, but her remaining consciousness drew power from the Shadowfell to remain as a whisper and a memory. Over time, this gradually manifested slowly as the entity known as the Raven Queen started to emerge from the shattered and, and misty bits and pieces of this once great elven queen, who, as far as I can tell, goes unnamed. Now, the only other thing that I have about her is that she's got a bunch of enemies. One of them is uh, Orcus, the demon lord of undeath, who is trying to gain control over her by learning her true name, which is some pretty cool fey bullshit. There's also Vecna, the lich-turned-lesser deity, who wants her powers over the souls and the knowledge of the undead. His forces and the Shatter Kai are constantly at war with each other in the Shadowfell. 
Of course, there are other necromancers and wizards that want access to her forbidden knowledge and whatnot. But my favorite story about her is how she became the enemy of the Prince of Frost. There once was a beautiful fae woman known as Sharia. She fell in love with the son of uh, Titania, who is part of the summer court, I believe, in the Feywild. And uh, he was a mortal Eladrin man known as the Sun Prince. But her attentions corrupted him, and he became jealous and controlling because she was just too much for him to handle. Sharia wanted to give them some distance so that her lover's heart could heal, and so she beseeched the Raven Queen to cast her into the future so that her beloved would grow as an individual over the eons and they could be together. But the Sun Prince found out about this and became bitter and morose and has been wandering around lonely and it has corrupted him enough that he has eventually become the Fey Prince of Frost. He often siphons the Raven Queen's powers to bring frozen death and frigid darkness to his domain and he's all like, ha I've taken your powers and she's all like, yeah, I know, I let you. Because even in his like his evil ways and dark intentions, serve her and bring her the lost and miserable souls of his victims. And so while he's like, we are mortal enemies, she is like, actually, you work for me. And uh, some say that she actually plans to sway him enough to become her consort while they wait to catch up to where uh, Sharia lives in the future. So if that isn't the most fucking amazing face yeah. smut plot that I've ever heard. We love, love a good face smut plot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I love that for her. Yeah. yeah we that's do. A, <laughs> that, that's what we have for the Raven Queen, who I have been dying to cover for about 250 episodes. I was gonna say your five minute section is 20 minutes. Like can you <laughs> leave, leave me alone. Leave me alone. This is like I, I love have her. Been... I love her so much. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. She is so cool. I like her so much. Let um, me pop off. Let, let's, let's grab dice. I've got some questions. All right. All right. All right. Uh, 12. 13. I got a 19. So my first question that I'm about to ask myself is, Hexblades work differently than other Warlock patrons because other Warlock patrons have a direct like entity giving them shit, right? Whereas you have a sword whispering to you. It's a little bit different. How do you feel about the fact that they're linked to an item and not a being of supreme power? For me, I had a real issue with this for the longest time. Like, how do you get magic powers? Keeping in mind that if you're Pact of the Tome or Pact of the Talisman or Pact of the Chain, whatever, all of your familiar and your bonus spells and everything about you as a warlock, you're getting power from your patron. In this case, that patron is just a smart sword. It like it feels like it was a bit much for the longest time. Now that I know that it's kind of like Black Razor, it's kind of it's tied to the Shadowfell and the Raven Queen. After I'd done a little bit more digging, I actually really like them. I wish they would fucking include this nonsense in Xanathar's, though, because I had to go dig around the internet for this shit. Yeah, I I like the idea of them. I've not like done too much digging into it, but. I do, with my dragon episodes, have the understanding of innate magic in things. Like, dragons can put innate magic into items, and they can get more powerful the more time they spend with that. So, if that item becomes so powerful, spending time with it could give you the innate magic within it, is how I see it. 
Mm -hmm. Um, So I do like that idea of an item being that powerful based on its history. And you can give it some like epic backstory on why it's that powerful. Um, And I also think about like video games and you get like an item and it can level up and you level up with it and get more powers based on how powerful it becomes. And if you don't have that weapon anymore, you lose all of that power. Um, so like in my head, it, it works in the same sort of way. Yeah, it works. In, in my mind, it works the same sort of way any other magical item works. It's like this mm-hmm. breastplate I'm wearing is no different than the other one other than it has a weird magical barrier on it. Mm-hmm. Right. So it gives me my plus one because it is stronger by magic. Right. So I feel like that's yeah. kind of the same attunement. You just happen to have a weapon that is stronger by magic. And therefore, when you spend a lot of time with it, you start utilizing it more and so on and so forth. Because mm-hmm. like, I feel like when people think of Pat, like do, using this, they'll automatically start trying to find some of those famous swords to use. But me as a DM, I'm not going to give them that sword at level one. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I'm just not going to be like, here's this amazing magical sword that gives you all of these capabilities at level one. It's like, no, you're going to work your way up to that. Right. Like whether the soul moves from sword to sword, weapon to weapon, or the weapon you're carrying eventually grows into that with you. Right. Like if you're a more positively aligned, maybe it's turning into the sunblade and eventually you will have a sunblade at a certain level. Or like if you're more on the dark side, you then end up with like one of the more sinister weapons of the, the Raven Queen. Right. So I, I like it because you're not attached to a very specific personality and you have a little bit more freedom and movement to be the character that you want to be with just the same kind of capabilities. Cause I find that when we get too deep into like who your patron is and what their goals are, and like you, you are then very specifically headed in one direction. Whereas I feel like this, just having a weapon that kind of guides you around and kind of you still as a character get to make your choices and what happens with your powers is actually based on your decisions, not your patrons. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. 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 It's, so, a, it's a good balance. I like, okay. So you said a second ago, it's too powerful to hand out at level one. Uh, what, what level do you hand this, like a black razor out at, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it depends on what campaign you're in and what your team is getting themselves into. Right. If I can, um, if I can be honest, it's powerful. I want my players to sit on it for a while, yeah. right, and explore it. So I don't want it to be like a tier four thing. No. Right. You're supposed to get it at the end of White Plume Mountain, which is right around the time when you you're supposed to be level eight when you start that adventure in fifth edition, and it never mentions anything about leveling during it. So eight to nine, roughly around there, seems like a good like by design. That's where they meant it to be, but. I feel like maybe 11. It's it's fucky enough that you've got to manage it and it's going to really fuck with you during like extended downtime if you've got a campaign. Like hey, we're going to go back to town for a week and chill out. Okay, now you got to murder a couple of bitches. Yeah. Right? Like you don't get to sit down and do nothing. Yeah, right. So. Mm-hmm. It's also okay. one of the handful of times that I would probably make it so that an item uh, doesn't allow you to unattune from it. Yeah. I feel like that's missing from from Black Razor. Like, yeah, if it's you your tune, patron, like, yeah. that's it. That's yeah. <laughs> sucked. <laughs> the only way out is that it eats your soul. <laughs> Do you guys have any, like, insights? Would you hand it out earlier or later? I, I think for something like Black Razor, like, you got to find it. Yeah. That one specifically. Um, So that would be a case where you multi-class like if you're starting you start as something else and then you find it and all of a sudden you're a warlock because you attune to this thing and it's not gonna let you unattune to it so welcome to being a hexblade 
<laughs> like whether you meant to or not. I feel like that would be how I would use this this one specifically. Yeah, I feel like it would be the MacGuffin that you mm-hmm. don't really know the impact of owning it or wielding it is going to have. Mm-hmm. And then you have it at a later level. And then surprise, you have to take a level of warlock. Mm-hmm. Like again, like most of the warlocks I end up with do it by accident. So I, yeah. <laughs> okay. So like, it's, I think it's pretty easy to come up with like a plot to get black razor, but do we have any plots surrounding having black razor? Like now you have a sentient weapon that's whispering in your ear and is thirsty mm-hmm. for blood. What, what do you have for, for like a, a warlock who is going through this. You're a DM and you've given out Black Razor. You, you ran White Plume Mountain. You're like, oh shit, I guess I got to do this now. And then you're, you're stuck with Black Razor. For me, the clearly obvious thing is I'm not going to tell them it's Black Razor. And I don't think you should, right? Like, no. even when you identify it, this is a patron. This is beyond the spell identify. Black Razor has enough sentience to be able to hide their true intentions for a while. However, I would, every once in a while, whisper something, usually outside of combat, right? I might give this to a barbarian just to try to get them to rage longer or to go fight things. You had an overwhelming urge, like a whisper in the back of your head that says, go kill that guy, right? Not beat them up, go kill that guy. And, of course, they're going to use the most powerful item they have, which is the plus three fucking greatsword, right? So, like, that, I just think that slow rolling Black Razor out makes a whole hell of a lot of of sense um, for me. Peps, what do you think? I would love to see, because it mentioned Whelm and Wave also being in there. I want to see the party get all three. And just, like, what fuckery those three swords. I haven't looked into those two specifically, they're um, not they're not all swords i think yeah and sorry not swords it calls them weapons so i don't know exactly what they are um but those three together i think would have some sort of deep plot to take over something or do something and that can be at the dm's discretion if they you know have have an idea of how they want their um campaign to go but i would i would like to see those three weapons become the big bad <laughs> of the campaign and your party has them all and doesn't know it (laughs) and they have some evil plot that they are like pushing you all towards and you just have no clue oh man i went like far more like domesticated with my thoughts of the fact that i really would like have like an npc that has this sword just on a farm somewhere Mm -hmm. keeping it away from society and just that's how they kill their cows to like feed like the sword and feed the community but no one knows that this this warlock is just hanging out in his hut because he doesn't want to bother anyone because he has this fucking bloodthirsty sword, but he's figured out how to tame it. Mm-hmm. And then someone comes and like burns his like whole farm down and takes the sword. And it's like, well, <laughs> well, shit. Well, shit. <laughs> uh, I just looked it up because I know that uh, Black Razor, Wave, and Whelm are three of the four sample sentient items in the DMG. Mm-hmm. Black Razor's clearly a sword. Wave is a trident, and all, it's all water magic powers. And yeah, Whelm is. is a warhammer that has uh-huh. to be wielded by a dwarf. Oh yeah, so I, I read about uh, yeah, I read about the dwarf the dwarf one where it has to be <laughs> it has to be a dwarf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think having your party find all three of them and just Whelm having a... those three weapons bicker with each other the whole time also because it says yeah. like specifically that 
it wants to be in battle with them, but it doesn't necessarily like them at the same time. Did you guys see the latest Thor movie, Love and Thunder? Yeah. There's a part in it, for anyone who hasn't seen it, there's a part where Mjolnir actually just starts like hovering around and getting really fucking jealous and has a little personality. Mm-hmm. That's very much Whelm. Whelm is a, is a thrown weapon that returns to you, and it's a war hammer. Like, it's Thor's hammer. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But it has to be wielded by a dwarf. I love the idea of these these weapons being super fucking jealous. Black Razor sitting there watching you get in kills with a different weapon should be a fucking issue. Mm-hmm. It's like, now you yeah. owe me 10 souls. So get yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what souls. but you every, owe me 10. every soul you kill with that other sword, you owe to me. <laughs> you have like a, it would be like a really, really pouty. Like, you know how there's, re- I am sure, look, we are all adults. I'm sure that, that we have all had a relationship where there's been somebody that's been fucking whiny and needy. And you're like, fuck, I'm tired of dealing with this fucking nonsense. I feel like that could be Black Razor. Like, you're fine. I'm not talking to you anymore. Yeah. I, I, I would, I'm only going to do non lethal damage until you fucking feed me a soul. Like, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, minimum damage on everything. I just I don't feel like cutting today. Yeah. You pissed me <laughs> off. Uh-huh. With the silent treatment from your weapon. <laughs> and you know when you've pissed it off. And like, all of a sudden, you're just like, you feel like the glow of the sword like go down just because of something you said or someone around mm-hmm. you said something being like, oh man, I really love that other sword that you have. And then you're like, oh, you're like don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> like you have to make a like a strength check to actually pull it out of the scabbard as well. Like yeah. I'm not coming out today. No, <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> um, do we have an inspiration about weaving the Raven Queen into a Hexblade story? I mean, it's an easy weave in the sense that, like, she's got all these weapons, like, you know, like, it's known that she creates these shadow fell, shadowy weapons. So it's an it's an easy weave that a weapon that you're carrying as a Hexblade warlock will have some kind of connection to her. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I also think I also think it's an easy weave to be able to get someone to go into the shadow fell and then end up in her, uh, what did, what did I call it? The Fortress of, um, uh, there were so many notes. For the Fortress of Memories, <laughs> where they have all of the offerings, right? Yeah. You could end up there and see just all of this fucking loot. And mm-hmm. you, the moment you reach out to touch it, the Raven Queen's voice appears in your head, right? Or there are some items that are there that are calling out to you. You go to pick it up, bam, you're a Hexblade Warlock. Yeah. I mean, even like we had mentioned with Black Razor, if you can't unattune to it and the sword becomes a problem... Mm-hmm. um. It would be going to find her to figure out how to unattune to it. Like, what do I do about this? Yeah. Like, can you take this do... back? Yes. Can, <laughs> can I give this back to you, please? Yeah. Do you still have the receipt? No. <laughs> yeah, can't return it without a receipt. Sorry. Yeah. Over yeah. 30 days? Mm, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I was thinking along the lines of like doing a quest of like the opposite direction. That like if you mm-hmm. wanted to do a darker, like more evil quest. You could be the group that goes out and finds her weapons to bring them back. So you're going out and finding advent like good adventuring groups and killing them and taking the weapons back, right? We have really fun evil campaign. And like you can go around and kill like old, old PCs that you've had in old campaigns, right? Like if you have a group that you've played with for years. That would just be a really fun like filler episode to do. So I I, I also think it's really fun to because you would have a bunch of like Shatterkai sidekicks and NPCs that are 
like the, this is almost an assassin's guild like ninjas following you around yeah helping you stalk the night to go murder people and take their weapons and collect them all again and like the people are like as you go they're just like more virtuous and happier and like it is the last one is like a, a four-year-old girl that just happened to pick up a, a pretty dagger like it's like oh no yeah <laughs> no that'd be a cool story ending though like instead of killing her you decide to bring her back and she becomes like the queen's like apprentice or imbued all of the weapons have come together now and this is the new raven queen and she just gets like Ah! possessed by the raven queen yeah Ah! i gotta build this little girl (laughs) (laughs) done yes the raven queen is now a small guy all right let's uh let's shift over and talk about uh arch which I think is like the last player's handbook, um, warlock patron that, that we're covering, and it's it's been it's been a long time coming. So let's grab dice. We each grabbed one. There are five listed. We decided not to go into the Prince of Frost uh, because I already covered that, uh, or the Queen of Air and Darkness. But let's grab dice. All right, five. I got a six. <laughs> you got thirteen, guys. <laughs> Shut up, Megan. Well, I, I'm not going to have like the least detailed one on the planet because like none of them, none of them great. have much detail. This is the damn thing about the Archfey patron is you're pretty much left to your own devices. And I got to say right now, you are stuck doing Google searches and looking on the D&D wiki or the Forgotten Realms wiki. You are um, stuck trying to find your own inspiration from real world lore or from novels. <laughs> But but I, I do have to say, this is probably one of the most popular ones that people pick until they realize there's no support here. Yeah. There so. is a PDF that came out with Wild Beyond the Witchlight, which teaches you how to build an arch fay. That's where you should be heading. I think it's free online. So mm-hmm. yeah. Well, let's start getting into a few of them again. So I'm going to talk about Oberon, the Green Lord. Uh, and it is exactly as you think. He is the king of the fay. <laughs> So anyone who has read Shakespeare in high school, you know who Oberon is. Uh, The key things to mention about him are that he, of course, dwells within the inner circle of the Seelie court and has a very rocky relationship with Titania and is the father to a bunch of weird princes. Uh, Though much like other Archfey, he has the ability to cast spells like Charm Person and obviously utilize illusionary magic, much like the Fae like to do. He is actually not afraid to be a combatant and he likes to fight you. So he's not afraid to boot you in the face if you're being an idiot. Um, so it very much feels like he's the aggressor of the families and is like the, the angry dad, you know, is kind of the feel that I get from him. Uh, some fun exploration things to know are that of course, living within dwelling within a forest, he can control all the trees and bodies of water that reside within it. So like, obviously, like if you think of like a big, big bads, how they have like, you know, area effects, I feel like that's one that would make sense for him to have, like that mm-hmm. he has like the ability to kind of like control or know what's happening within his forest, no matter what. Right. So I, I feel like it'd be a really fun thing to create like a delightful little labyrinth just to piss off your players, you know, that he's like, he's like, no, I know that you're here and I, I, I am going to boot you in the face when you find me, but it's going to take you a while. Right. Hold on. I'm writing notes. Delightful little labyrinth. just a fancy little labyrinth with some happy little trees in it you know yeah Yeah. (laughs) to get lost in forever yeah um and at the end of the day you could probably find him hunting around his lands he does like to hunt for sport he actually doesn't kill what he hunts uh is something that was kind of said in some of the little lores that i was reading so like if he's out hunting stags or any of the beasts within his lands he doesn't kill them 
He just does it for fun. So um, I think that's a really cool point because I imagine that if you went hunting in his forests and killed something, this is going to be the start of Akatar. And anyone who knows what that word is, welcome to Smut Club. <laughs> <laughs> so does he just find him? We're like, ha I found a stag. On to the next. Yeah, <laughs> on to the next one. Well, I'm imagining like he just hits it with some kind of a magical capability or like just like, like runs around. Like sleep or something. Yeah. And just be like, get better. Got you. Yeah. <laughs> they just wake up very well rested. Like what happened? <laughs> what, a, what a great little nap that I just had. Um, but I, I feel, but unless you are a bothersome adventurer in his forest, he's not going to kill. But if you are bothering his forest, trampling around, ruining your rivers, cutting down your trees i feel uh, like i'm sorry did you say trampling trampling okay yeah just checking yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's the alternative to scooching is it yeah i'm trying to change up? my i'm trying to change my verbiage here to make uh, you more <laughs> fuck. i'm also wearing your favorite shirt today i caught that already <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll probably cut this, but perhaps I fucking hate this shirt. It says Demo Bat on it, and it drives me nuts because I think it should say Demon Bat, and I always think it's missing the N. So every time Megan wears it, I find myself staring at her chest and fuming. And I'm like, Adam, what are you doing? Look away. And I'm, it's the only thing that puts me in my fucking head while I'm DMing, and it drives me up the goddamn wall. And so she often wears it on purpose, especially during recordings, just to throw me for a fucking loop. Yeah, and usually when we play yeah. D&D, I wear this shirt just to piss yeah. Adam off. Yeah. yeah. No, Anyways, I love that for you both. It's, yeah. it's the meta, <laughs> it's the meta like re retort to fuckery DMing. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite. Uh, but my last point about uh, when going into Oberon is that uh, physically he is wingless uh, and a very, very tall fae with the skin, the color of the trees themselves. He's kind of your classic smut fae. So he is, in my mind, very, very, very handsome woodsman. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah but who isn't in your mind so you know what i have a great mind to be in okay <laughs> <laughs> let's that's, just say, that's what sorry what let's just say we wouldn't mind being in there hey oh it's a good place uh but that's pretty much all i have on oberon really that's kind of like like some of the most when looking at a couple of different places those are some of the most common things that came out was you know that's that's who he would be so I ended up covering Hearsome, and Hearsome, I have almost no information about him. What I do know is that he is known as the Prince of Fools, and he's essentially the Satyr Archfey. We actually have in um, the Satyr like breakdown. You go back and listen to the to the Satyr episode. Uh, we we talk about one of the other like patrons of the Satyrs and like the most Satyr Satyr that ever lived. We also have Hearsome, and he is a mischievous trickster who is all about using his wit and savagery to further uh, his intentions and whatnot. But his intentions, let me be very clear, he is just a racist. That's what this is. So he's incredibly handsome and charismatic, and he always plays a fiddle and carries a fiddle and a fiddlestick with him wherever he goes, and he casts all sorts of spells with them. He's a the bardiest bard of all bards, but he's an anarchist who is trying to knock the Feywild back to its pure chaos when only the Fey were there. He's upset because when the Fomorians came in, when the Fomorians are like fallen giants, right? Um, and that have been cursed because they were so beautiful. Now they're they're hideous. When they got into the Feywild, 
and the Fomorians came into existence, like seemingly triggered mortals being able to come into the Feywild, which pisses him off. He is just fucking done with this. He has no problems with elves or Eladrin because they all secretly feel this way too. At least that's what he thinks. Um, but he uses his music to charm people, uh, enemies, and allies. He's essentially immortal. And uh, and he's just all about kicking out the assholes. He is actually the son of the Green Lord, but not uh, Oberon, but Oron, the first Green Lord. When the plane was exclusively home to other Fae, he was like the, the prince of the area. And now he just pretends to be a fool but he's actually super manipulative and really, really angry about the existence of mortals. Right. He was actually the patron of my warlock. <gasps> That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Cause she You she, did it. She was um raised by bards, but didn't want to spend time in college. Um, so she made this pact <laughs> instead to get powers. <laughs> Um, I guess the last footnote that I have is that some some people believe that uh, Oberon is the new name. It's another incarnation of the original uh, Oron, the Green Lord. Um, so maybe mine is the son of Megan's. Yeah, interesting. And mine is the wife of Megan's. <gasps> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, because you're covering... Wait a minute. That would make the Prince of Frost the brother of Hearsome as well. Probably and yes. yes. The yes. son of yes. both of yours. Oh, uh, this. Uh, we're getting into cool like family <laughs> okay. trees now. That's why. That's yeah. why I made the mention yeah. of like like Oberon is the angry dad of the family. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Titania is like the opposite of that. <laughs> She's the nurturing mother of the family. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Titania is the summer queen of the Feywild, and some would say the most powerful of the Archfey. She leads the Summer Fey at, and the Seelie Court. She is the embodiment of beauty with skin the color of honey and hair that shimmers in all the colors of autumn leaves. Her eyes glow like golden rays of the sun. However, her avatar appears as a small and beautiful fairy with gossamer, I don't know if I'm saying that right, gossamer wings and gossamer. pale yeah, gossamer, gossamer. Yeah. Um, with pale skin with immaculate cheekbones and gray blue eyes. I love that it calls out her cheekbones. Specifically. <laughs> I keep my cheekbones immaculate. <laughs> yeah. Just for um, occasions like this. Immaculate yeah. cheekbones. <laughs> Um, some would say she is flighty and frivolous, though she is truly an excellent strategist in court and on a battlefield. Her sense of humor is dry, and when needed, she can be very sensible. Getting her angry is next to impossible, but that doesn't mean it's never happened. Those who did something she deemed truly despicable would have to answer to her most powerful wrath. Her vibe gives me, like, a Luna love good, like very flighty and um, but like also very smart underneath that. Like people I think underestimate her based on thinking she's flighty and frivolous. I always thought that she was a lot like Galadriel, but from the books, not the movies, because the movie leans into how powerful and terrible she could be. Whereas mm -hmm. the books are all about her beauty and her grace, but also there's this like this dark will underneath mm -hmm. her as well right yeah 
Um, one quote that I read said, Titania's very smile could cause crops to ripen and her frown could trigger wildfires. Her gaze could cause mortals to go mad. Her magic is very woodsy, druid type things like recognizing pure water, all animals and plants, and poisons. She could summon woodland creatures by the swarms to aid her and call upon plant life to entangle anyone with a mere wave of her hand. She also has fantastic charming powers and could talk anyone into never coming into Sylvan lands with a simple suggestion. She's known to carry a diamond-tipped wand and her avatar a magical dagger. And if you ever visited her throne room, you would find her sitting atop a dragon-shaped throne carved from ice. If I didn't love her before with all the druidy magic, because you guys know I love that, definitely the dragon throne does it for me <laughs> do you think it's like fairy dragons though i don't know could be it doesn't specific i didn't see it where it specifically said what kind of dragon but i did find it interesting it's carved out of ice and she is the summer queen cool uh let's grab our dice i have questions yeah eight eleven we're going in the same order i got a nine uh megan mm-hmm. what do you think your arch fae would want from a mortal that would lead them to agree to a pact <laughs> I feel like you have to think about it in the opposite direction. Like they're not, I don't, they're using you. You're, they're not, you know, you're not giving it anything that it wants from you. They're going to use you to get things that they need. Yeah. So, and because they are too lazy to leave, not too lazy, but like they're too important. They're not going to leave their courts. So they're not going to leave their world to, to do the things they need to do. So they're going to find people to do what they need done and have them bring it back. So it might be a good plot point to bring characters into the Feylands or um, like utilize some of the weird, more mysterious magics that they have, but like they're out seeking weapons or they're out seeking MacGuffins or like, let's say one of their sons runs away to like the mortal realm. And it's like, okay, well now I need to find a group of people to go and find my kid and bring it back. So they're going to make a pact with this person specifically to be like, no, I need you to go and do this job for me because I'm not leaving my court. Like kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I, okay. I've got to be honest. I always hated the Archfey. I thought that they were mechanically the weakest from the player's handbook uh, options as far as like your spell list and the kind of shit you can do because charm doesn't always work against monsters and shit. So I've never really liked them. However, the moment we start to dig into who the Archfey are and there's really no information in 5th edition about it. We had to do the digging off. Like, you guys went to Google too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we don't we don't have any, like, real lore for them in 5th ed, which is bullshit. Because it exists in previous editions. Just fucking copy-paste and, and give, us, give us this shit again. Just give us this shit. I just, fuck, I'm annoyed about it. Because there's so much cool shit in here. I think that Hearsome would absolutely give power to anybody that is from the Feywild. If you had a, a fairy, a Herengon, a satyr, even if, like a, an Eladrin, an elf, uh, like, not a drow or Shatterkai, but like a, a centaur, sure, close enough. He would say, yes, you can be one of my, my um, agents out in the world. Here is some power. Make sure you're killing mortal. Don't hurt any Fey, right? And just like, 
he wouldn't need much besides punish the mortals and keep him out of the Feywild. That's it. Unfortunately, he is super racist about shit. Um, he is, and he's consistently trying to like make political moves in order to gain power to shut the Feywild borders. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's a lifelong goal for him. <laughs> like that's not that's not real machinations that he's able to do right now. Um, but he's friends with Gith Yankee and Genies and all sorts of things outside the Feywild as long as they don't come in. So there's a lot of options there. Yeah. Um, I think for Titania, because it says, like, she doesn't get mad unless you do something horrible. So in my mind, that would be, like, severely hurting the forest or the Fey or, like, anybody she deems in her um, court or, like people she looks over um so i could see her finding adventures to help take care of that if that person has gotten away um out into the world because she can't really like she's got so much shit to do there in court <laughs> she's like important the yeah. head of the sealy court she can't just go you know fuck off and and, hunt and her husband's out. off hunting in the woods like yeah, just come on yeah. <laughs> bring and home not nothing. bringing any food back you know <laughs> useless <laughs> <laughs> she's got a lot going on at home in her life uh so yeah i could definitely see her finding people to give powers to to go and look for whoever has wronged her home what's one plot hook you have for your archfey that a dm could use uh so i when i think of all these fey that we're talking especially this family that lives in a fucking forest all I can think about is Princess Mononoke and how it's like humans versus Fey, And like the humans are taking over their lands and the Fey are fighting back and they're constantly at war. This would either be a great... Hmm? Such a good source of inspiration. I Honestly, like I think I saw Princess Mononoke when I was way too young to understand what I was watching. And like now as an adult and I look back at like what I'd seen. At first I was like, what a gory, weird movie. But I'm like, no, no. It has so many good themes to it. So many good growth from characters. Like, it's such a great film. Anyways, if you've never watched it, watch it. But it is very much along the lines of humans destroying the forest and the Fae fighting back. And by the Fae, it's like the gods and goddesses of the forest, which in my mind are in this scenario, like Oberon and his family are like, well, no, like we're we're going to fight back. So as a DM, you can either make this a good starting point for your campaign of you have some characters that are, you know, patrons of um, uh, of, of the Fae and they're fighting back against the humans or vice versa. Or this can just be a you walked in on this war by accident and now you are navigating and trying to figure this out. You have to pick a side. And if you pick the side of the Fae, one of you becomes a warlock. If you pick the side of the, the humans, you'll probably all die. That's just where I'm going <laughs> <laughs> but I think that when I'm thinking of Faye, the first thing I always think of is either Princess Mononoke or something along the lines of um, like Spirited Away, like those kinds of like storylines and places and like the magicalness of those worlds, right? So everybody stops and, and thinks of Fern Gully for that that conflict, and it just isn't enough. Like Princess Mononoke, like this is Arch Faye versus like one shot dicking around with pixie's fate right and there's so much good shit in in anime for this that i am not an anime person princess mononoke was the very first thing that i saw and spirited away is the only one i've seen in theaters mm-hmm. right? um but i have also seen grave of the fireflies but we're not going to talk about that too so, sad moving on, yeah, moving on. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but like, there's so much good shit out there, just in like anime in general, when it comes to like wild fey magic and stuff. But I wasn't expecting to talk about Princess Mononoke today. I'm, I'm kind of you're welcome about it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to rewatch that. It's been a couple of years. Um, for me, uh, the plot hook that I have is, um. He here's some does not like people, but he has very, very complex political machinations. Um, and I think that what he would do is try to get more and more agents in the material world to be doing shit for him, uh, so that he can force them instead of coming to the Feywild. I need you to go into the material plane and uh, close seals and you know the thin spots between realities, fix that. And so during the campaign, there would be portals and and areas that you'd be able to transport uh into the Feywild or the Shadowfell and he would just be like nope lock it down make the material plane the material plane only I do not want people just showing up and so it would be locking down portals and areas and so I think that it'd be neat for your like, look you have an Archfey patron warlock in your party you have to go to the Feywild but it should be little dip-ins over and over and over again every once in a while to just close this seal, you know, remove this space. And and you get to keep exploring that like once every couple of levels until finally the Feywild gets locked down, at least in this region. I think for Titania, like I said, there was that quote of um, her smile could cause crops to ripen and her frown could trigger wildfires. That, I think, like something is happening in there where these wildfires are starting and it becomes a problem like there is something really messed up going on and your party has to go in and figure out exactly like what is what is happening that is making these wildfires and what has triggered her to be so sad and to help fix that problem um because she is just a generally happy person um so if there is something making her frown like it's bad so it's going to be a lot of wildfires i think um so i would sort of lean into that and figure out like what ex- what exactly can your party do to stop this because it could burn the whole world if it's not fixed yeah um do you have a an idea about which warlock pact you'd like to uh align with the archfey we actually covered this in the archfey episode that we did yeah uh, way back when but the talisman i don't think was a part of that conversation is there anything that stands out to you guys tome chain blade or talisman i mean for like for oberon specifically if i was thinking the one i was covering i was gonna do blade because he is a hunter and a you know more of a a martial character so being able to have a weapon seemed fitting yeah, but makes sense. but other than that, that's the only one I really put any thought into. Yeah, I, w- I was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was really just thinking like Tome is the answer here for Hearsome because he's he's all charmy, he's all bardy. Like I would love it to be. I'd love there to be a pact of the song or something that you could have, but like back to the instrument. But no, uh, like clearly just more spells. He's here to to charm and to enchant. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, when I was a warlock. It was Pact of Chains. Um, I have not looked too deeply into the rest of them because I saw Pseudo Dragon and said yes. <laughs> so... Fair enough. Um, mm-hmm. And it was an Archfey, uh, so that um, patron. So that's what I chose. <laughs> Assuming the player is going to multi-class for a couple of levels because everybody does with with Warlocks, right? What's the class or subclass that you think is going to thematically fit them the best? And you're not allowed to say druid or ranger because those are the ones that are obvious go-to for Archfey. <laughs> I 
but I always go Druid. <laughs> Megan, does anyone stand out for Oberon? Oh. I was going to say Ranger, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I, I was going to say Druid. Sure, <laughs> but like, so I'm just like, it just makes sense. But like, yeah. Yeah, I feel like for Oberon, you're right. Ranger is the like go-to right answer. Otherwise, you're just going with like the Rogue Scout or the Arcane, the arcane Archer. Um, yeah, and over, like... Right? like and I mean, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even choose Druid for like I I would skip Druid for Oberon because like he hunts animals. I don't think that you would be an animal. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, okay, so either you are the hunter or so you're a ranger or um yeah, what was the other one I was just thinking of? Oh, I lost it. Because technically you could, in my mind, multi-class as like a fighter if you wanted to just make a martial class. That was like the warriors of the Fae was the other one I was thinking of. Um, or this would be a good, I thought in my mind, depending on what kind of game you're playing, this could be a good opportunity to do the Paladin Warlock combo for Oberon, yeah. right? Yeah, like, and just make a warrior of XYZ. What's it called? Oath of Ancients, right? Yep. That's that's the nature Paladin. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think that would be a really cool combo. But uh honestly, for Hearson, the only answer is Bard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Like your your patron is known for his fiddle and fiddlestick. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's bard. Um, maybe like a wild magic sorcerer or something. Like I feel like that's got a lot of whimsy to it and has that like lighty, frivolous sort of whimsy feel that Titania sort of gives me. Um so if I can't if I can't pick Druid, I'd maybe go like Wild Magic Sorcerer. There's also the uh, cleric uh the nature domain mm-hmm. okay. but i feel like you're mixing your divine and your arcane a bit like she's like my patron is titania but my god is you'd have to kind of line that up yeah you're serving two people at once and that gets complicated mm-hmm. can only serve one master right <laughs> <laughs> or they gotta really get along <laughs> could you imagine like being like in servitude to the family and then you get like a piece of each one and like try to like please them all just like makes you go absolutely insane and like that'd be crazy that's what you do because they're like one big family you you have four players you give one of them the prince of frost and one of them the uh here's some the prince of fools and one of them is mom and one of them is dad and they're like and they all have a different warlock patron and they're all like fighting with each other a little bit everybody gets one <laughs> level in warlock right and then you can do what you want with it from there but like that i think that'd be a lot of fun uh let's jump into the last one this is the one that we have never covered uh we did cover the undead patron in the last halloween special mm-hmm. but there's also the undying from sword coast adventures guide and they're very very similar uh thematically and very different mechanically so i feel the need to address this it's not said anywhere Nobody knows for certain, but I believe undead should replace undying because it's the same fucking thing. For example, for the undying, your patron has unlocked immortality by becoming undead. They have secrets of immortality and death to share with the right followers. But in Undead, who's in Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, your patron has shrugged off life and death by becoming ancient undead. They are eager to share their profane knowledge of undeath. It's the same fucking thing. We're doing the same fucking thing. And as a matter of fact, when you give you the little like sample lists, there's serious overlap in them as well. So this is frustrating. I think that I myself as a DM would allow my players to mix and match from both, right? Or 
to use some of the minor abilities from one to enhance the other because neither of them are super powerful. So let me get into it. I'm just going to do a quick comparison, okay? Um, first of all, they both have expended spell lists. For the Undying, at uh, first level, they get False Life and Ray of Sickness. For Undead, they get False Life and Bane. So they upgraded Ray of Sickness to Bane. Uh, at third level, they get Blindness, Deafness, and Silence. And that got changed to blind uh, Blindness, Deafness, and Phantasmal Force. In my opinion, Bane was more powerful, was more powerful, but Silence is more powerful. At, at uh, third level, they both get Speak with Dead, but we go from Feign Death which is almost never used, to Phantom Steed. For both of them at uh, 7th level, we get Death Ward for both, and we go from Aura of Life, which is an odd choice for Undying and Undeath, to Greater Invisibility, which is another weird odd choice. And then um, at the uh, ninth level spells, we get Contagion, sorry, not ninth level spells, at ninth level you get Contagion uh, and Legend Lore, but or with the undead, anti-life shell and cloud kill, which are far more uh, offensive. That's going to be used fairly frequently. Legend lore rarely. When it comes to their actual abilities, let's look at their, what they get at first level. You choose to be an undying. You learn the spare the dying cantrip. You have advantage on saves against diseases. And if an undead attacks you, you make it do a save or it has to attack somebody else. For Undead, they got way more mechanical with it. What they want you to do with Undead is you actually, almost like Wild Shape or Rage, you gain aspects of your patron. If they're a Lich or a Vampire or whatever, you get aspects of them for one minute. And again, it grants you a bunch of bonuses. So you get 1d10 plus your Warlock level temporary hit points. Uh, once per turn, you can, uh, if you successfully roll an attack, that triggers a save on your target. If they fail the save, they're frightened till the end of the next turn, and you are immune to being frightened. You can do this a number of times equal to your proficiency modifier, which is pretty standard solid shit. So at sixth level, for the Undying, the original breakdown, you regain 1d6 plus your constitution worth of hit points whenever you uh, succeed on your own death save, which brings you back up, or whenever you stabilize someone with the Spare the Dying cantrip, which you got for free at level 1. At 6th level for the undead, you don't need to eat, drink, or breathe, but you still need to sleep. And then also, once per turn, you can replace the damage type of a successful attack roll with necrotic. Uh, and then on top of that, you add an additional damage die for the necrotic damage. So you can see Undead is a lot more offensive. It's meant to be in combat a lot more. Uh, we're more um, defensive, definitely, with the Undying. At 10th level, you don't need to breathe or consume food or water or sleep, but you still need to rest. You get that at 10th level for Undying. You got away back at 6th level for the Undead. Uh, also at 10th level, you age at one-tenth the speed of normal. Tell me a campaign that lasts ten fucking years where everyone else gets two or three gray hairs except that guy over there, and that's worth bringing up in your fucking campaign. It's bullshit, and I'd like, come Never. on. Never. I actually <laughs> am in a campaign where we do a lot of time jumps where it's like, now we're jumping 30 years in the future. Or I mm -hmm. got stuck in the Fey Forest, and everybody else, like, by the time we came out, everybody else had aged, like, 50 years um I, I so do that. in my world that i play in it would come into effect where you age slower um because we do big jumps we just did a big jump too by a year but we do like 17 year jumps between campaigns as well 
Mm-hmm. But again, and with that... different characters. So it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, like these are the same characters that were like, all of a sudden it's 30 years. Tell me what you've done in the past 30 years. But it it's definitely interesting to see for story beats. But put that up against this 10th level for the undead. You're resistant to necrotic damage. When you're transformed, uh, you are completely immune to it. And instead of dropping to zero hit points, you can drop to one and you explode with necrotic energy doing... 2d10 plus your warlock level worth of necrotic damage to creatures that you choose within 10 feet but it gives you a level of exhaustion and you can't do it for 1d10 or sorry 1d4 long rests so one of them is the shit you got at sixth level and you don't age as much the other one is super powered and you get to do a bunch of shit if you get knocked down right so honestly that you age at one tenth the speed of normal should just be a thing that the warlock gets at level one yeah and then at 14th level the undying once per rest can use a bonus action to regain 1d8 plus or warlock level hit points that's it you get a bonus action to do that also if your limb gets severed you can reattach it with this bonus action when does that ever come up we don't do called shots in fifth edition right some tables might but like how often does your hand get lopped off minded <laughs> and Strad. Yeah, and Megan's did too, but that was off yeah. of a homebrew crit table, right? Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, 14th level for the undead, though. Uh, this happens once per long rest. You can untether your spirit and go walk about from your body for an hour. Your stats and numbers stay the same, but you don't get to take any items with you, which means you can still cast spells. Any damage that happens to your body or your spirit manifests on the other. And when you're done, you choose if your spirit teleports back to your body or vice versa. While projecting your spirit, you are resistant to bludgeoning, slashing, and piercing damage. Conjuration and necromancy spells don't need verbal, somatic, or material components, as long as they don't have a gold cost. You can fly and hover, and once per turn, while you are transformed, so like you become the spirit, and then you can transform. If you do necrotic damage, you regain hit points equal to half that damage, which means if you're getting low on hit points, you can just step out of your body and start casting necromancy spells and heal your body back up. All of that compared to the, you can use a bonus action once per rest to heal 1d8 plus your warlock level. Like it's it's weak. I understand why it got a huge bump. Um, I don't feel the need to roll initiative on this one. Which one do you like better? the undying or the undead like do you think that the boost was worthwhile or is it overpowered i mean i think it was it's it's worthwhile i think i don't think there's anything again it's not game breaking in any no. way shape or form so i'm not gonna like say like oh this one 100 you know what i mean i feel like just it, it's just an additive to make something a little bit more interesting to navigate with right but yeah it doesn't it doesn't break anything for me so um but i do like the undying a little bit like it's it's nice Anyway, which one came first undying came first yeah and that's the one all about spare the dying you don't age as much and you um you can heal as a bonus action that's pretty much what you get with it yeah, yeah. and it's like i feel like it fits the theme of what it is that we're trying to like navigate so adding the undead was just kind of like a again doesn't break it but gives a little bit something different to, to work with if that makes sense yeah it's far more relevant in initiative yeah, Definitely. when they learned that aging didn't do much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we need to give us something different. <laughs> Perhaps, what do you think? Yeah, I I mean, I think the undead is, you know, definitely more powerful, but I don't know that it's game breaking in, like, if you compare it to other, like, not necessarily just undying, but if you compare it to other classes that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because sometimes sometimes you get like a weaker one and you're like but that guy has all this cool shit and I just don't age that much. Yeah. <laughs> How great for me. Then I, as a yeah. DM, I'd be like, I'm going to have to make this worth your time if you choose yeah. this one. Like- yeah. <laughs> so when Tasha's came out, it gave us a whole bunch of like other optional shit to do every once in a while when you level. Like there's mm-hmm. the optional class features that you can get. And mm-hmm. every time now in our campaign, I'm just like, hey, don't forget, you also get this shit that's in this book. I would add the undying stuff onto the undead stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even then, that's not that powerful. As everybody else is getting big boosts. The warlock, especially like your spell list, isn't that awesome as a warlock. You don't have enough spell slots. Learning Spare the Dying doesn't fucking hurt you at all, right? That only helps. So yeah, yeah especially if you're playing in a campaign where like you don't have a designated healer. Spare yeah. the Dying is a dope thing to have at a low level. Like, or when you, for example, have your necromancer, Dragonborn, who has spare the dying, and you also have a paladin that has lay on hands but only uses it on herself. Yes, yeah, yeah, speaking from experience. So <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap this up by talking about a couple of undead patrons between the two subclasses. The undying and the undead do have long lists that are they get, have a lot of overlap, they don't completely overlap. Mm-hmm. So each of you chose two to talk about right yeah yeah so i just want to like cover really quickly the undying court uh of Aranol from eberron and the uh which i believe we covered in an episode previously this month um or uh Aslan rex who is um one of the dark lords from the ravenloft book or fist and Dantilus from dragonlance these are all people that you can choose we're looking at mm-hmm liches essentially and and other similar ideas here so let's, happy uh, halloween <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i you did not to, uh... choose the dragon lance one specifically so i didn't have to say that name fiston dantalus <laughs> yeah <laughs> i almost chose it i was like i'm not saying that name i'm not saying that name 10 times <laughs> it's gonna be different every time i say it <laughs> oh my lord all right are we gonna roll off of who goes first yeah roll initiative okay, okay uh 15 16 <laughs> all right peps take it away you snipe um, it. my first one is dragatha which is a draco lich i thought dragatha was gonna be a female dragon but it's not um <laughs> just based on the name it just it just came off them to me um but he's a boy uh dragatha was once the mightiest red dragons to serve tiamat herself but he foolishly betrayed our queen, I mean, his queen, and formed an alliance with Kyus. K-Y-U-S-S is how you spell it. Kyus. Kyus. What Kyus. do you say? Kyus. 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 Um, also known as the worm that walks. For this betrayal, he was slain by Tiamat and forced to leave Avernus. I like that he was slain first and then forced to leave. Um, Kyus. Kyus. <laughs> Kyus. Yes. <laughs> t- total sidebar. There's a monster out there called the Spawn of Kyus, which uh-huh. we covered in one of the zombie episodes, I think. Um, yeah. Who, like, your body just gets infested with worms and you raise from the dead. It's yeah, me. he's a nasty looking guy. I looked into him very briefly for this. Um, I don't know why you'd choose him over Tiamat. Um, however, rewarded Dragatha with unlife, gaining a most powerful servant. As part of this afterlife, Dragatha went to war with the Druidic Order of the Storm. 
This war didn't go as he planned, and the order stole his phylactery and hid it in the fortress of Kunjin Filiner, forcing Dragatha to retreat. That's all I got. There was very little lore on him. But yeah, I honestly feel like this was probably in an adventure in AD&D, which has mm-hmm. just been like grandfathered in yeah. to, to the lore, but like nobody knows it anymore. Like, you might have a, a Wizards or a Dragons magazine or something from 1991 with info on this shit. But like really, really neat having a Draculich as an undying patron. There's enough mm-hmm. information there to to have um, like, uh, some quests around. But yeah. you're doing most of the heavy lifting yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. could go against Tiamat. You could get your phylactery back. Like there's a lot. Some there. It's a lot yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Megan, who's your first uh, one? All right, I'm going to go over the Lich Queen Vol uh, from Eberron. Uh, so it is uh, good to know that there is an actual stat block for her under a different name of Lady Ilmaro in the Eberron book, but there's not a whole lot of lore written there. So again, had to fandangle, do some Googles, and then put some shit together for y'all. So the easiest way to describe her is that she is a half-elf and half-dragon who is thought to bring upon the end of the war between the elves and the dragons. And though she was thought to be dead, she was actually raised as a lich. So the part that I found interesting is actually her birth story, which actually in my mind could either be a very good love story or a really bad love story. Um, So it is thought that her mother and father, an elf and a dragon, basically decided to attempt to have a basically a scientific experiment to see if they could make a half breed that would bring upon the end of the, you know, dragon lore, like dragon and elf war. Okay, there are lots of bad reasons to have a kid, but that's at the top. <laughs> exactly, right? So like, they were, it, it's actually supposed to, like, some of the, like, things that I read was that, like, they weren't actually love. They were literally just trying to see if they could bring their, like, beings together to try and stop this war from continuing. I want you to know that Half Dragon is a template that can be put on literally every creature, and most most dragons fucking know that when they get their fuck on with anybody, they can make a half dragon whatever. They can do yeah. it with a basilisk. They can do it with an orc. They can do it with a dragon turtle or a, one of those weird fucking spell jammer things. This experiment was because the dragon wanted to get laid. Yeah. That's all this is. <laughs> hey, baby, you into a you into a little experimentation? You wanna? Yeah, you know. Anyways, so anyways, her mom fell in love with the dragon is what's written but it's not actually written whether or not the love was reciprocated and they actually had a really good relationship so again you can either go really good love story or really bad love story however comma so she was born with the mark of the death dragon but she technically can't use it doesn't actually bear any magical use she just was born with the mark her goal in life is to essentially like reanimate this said birthright essentially and actually seek revenge on the dragons and the elves for what they did and for the war that occurred because it didn't actually end the war that nothing nothing happened it's just like i was created this month i basically you created me a monster and all these things and plus there's a little bit of betrayal in the background story where they think that the father actually revealed that this half-breed was born which caused like the world to seek her out to try and kill her basically because she was should not exist kind of thing and so there's some some family nonsense and some other bullshittery, which is very exciting. So anyways, her goal in life is to become the queen of death and seek revenge on both the elves and the dragons. So her occults and her like affiliates are usually assassins guilds that are used to infiltrate, gather info, and just generally cause a ruckus. 
so you can only imagine the kind of followers she has um, as, a, as they are mostly undead. So they're like vampires, mummies, that kind of thing. So uh, I just think it's really cool that she's like seeking revenge on two very specific um, groups of folk. And she's just like, nope, this is my goal. This is what I want to do. So again, a lot of really cool plot hooks in there that you can pick and like cherry pick from mixed in with you could definitely see like why you would have a pact with this person who is seeking these kinds of revenges, right? So yeah, that's the Look, Queen I, I just want to give a little bit more context um, because Eber I, I know some about some shit about Eberron. Yeah. There are, there's a cult called the Blood of Vol, which is all about like weird vampire shit as well. That is loosely tied to her family yeah um also this mark of death that she has is um there are there used to be 13 dragon marks and 13 dragon mark houses and these are houses that have like inherent magical properties and you would get these these mystical birthmarks essentially that can grow over your lifespan and give you more and more power and they indicate nobility they're gifts from the dragon gods themselves and there were 13 of them the mark of death is no longer available. No one alive has that, so it can't be passed down anymore. It's the forgotten mark. She is the only one that has it. Yeah. Because she's a lich. So, like, there's that cool shit as well. So, the blood of Vol is not really tied to her. That's doing its own thing. But she is technically the heiress to the Vol bloodline. But she's already dead. So, it doesn't count, right? It doesn't, like, doesn't, doesn't count. She's just... Yeah. <laughs> So like she got a lot of shit to be angry and bitter about. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm all for it. Very much so. What's your Pep's next one, Pep? All right. My next one is Cass the Bloody Handed. Um, <laughs> Cass has many names: the Bloody Handed, the Terrible, the Betrayer, the Hateful, the Destroyer. Just all around sounds like the best kind of guy based on these names. <laughs> Um, he is described as a muscular human with long black hair who wears little armor and stands six foot six inches tall. And I'm just going to give Megan a second with that. <laughs> does it does it describe his abs at all? <laughs> How many abs does he I'm have? I'm sure. I'm sure he has amazing abs. Um, <laughs> Cass was once a loyal and trusted lieutenant of Vecna, only to one day betray him. Now, it's said that Cass's sword whispered in his ear that he needed to slay his master. If we take a look into the description of the sword, it seems to change a bit um, here and there in different versions. But I think they all agree that it was made by Vecna and has a vile and murderous spirit. In the battle with Vecna, the sword took his hand and eye and Vecna's rotting tower was destroyed. Cass was flung into the multiverse and landed in the plane of ash, spending so much time there, so close to the negative energy plane, turned him into a vampire. And this is when he took the name Cass the Destroyer. Now, this is all subject to change depending on the edition you are looking into. Um, so some say he was a vampire before this, some say he was a vampire after this. It just depends the story that you're that you're reading. Eventually, Vecna came back because Lich and Cass gets freed, and they both become dark lords and they're of their own domains and wage a never ending war against each other. From what I have found, according to fifth edition, Cass is still the dark lord of the domain of Tevag. So that's what not a whole Cass. lot about him. Mm -hmm. Apparently, Megan, I need you to calm down. Apparently, in 2024, 
we are going to get, they have announced uh, when one D and D hits, whatever the, the new edition is, we're going to get a new monster manual, new dungeon master guide, new player's handbook. Um, and they're going to change a bunch of like the basic rule set. Uh, but the idea is that it should be pretty close to fifth edition. So they're just releasing more adventures to build on what's already happened in fifth edition. One of those adventures is supposed to be about Vecna. And I assume we are going to see Cass. You don't really have one without the other. No. And like, I don't know if people have noticed quite yet, but I fangirl for Cass pretty hard. Um, I I have a theory based (laughs) on somebody else you fangirl on. Um, Everybody thought that Eddie and Stranger Things would be Strad. There's all the the rumors that he's going to be a vampire. Well, the the, the current... Cast. No, the current fan theory is that he is uh-huh. Cass. Yeah, he is going to be the one that brings down. When it first down... came out, it was a lot of Strad. Like he should be Strad because I think that's the most popular yeah. vampire. Well, it's funny you said that when it first came out. Keep in mind. All right. Well, now I got to keep in the episode about the fucking Dima Bat shirt. Keep in <laughs> mind that that Megan is such a huge Stranger Things fan. Like for uh-huh. for birthdays and Christmas and shit, we give her Stranger Things stuff. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. like it's such a big deal, but it's all based on Eddie. Not mm-hmm. all, but, but it's mostly Eddie. It's mostly when Eddie. season four came out and we started talking about it in our group chat, Megan geeked, like sidebarred me and said, Okay, I have a theory that Eddie is going to be cast. And like we talked about that for like four days. Like yeah. it, was a, it was a big, it big was intense. Deal. So, yeah. like, I have been, I have been low key waiting to talk about Cass on an episode with Megan and then yes. to find out that you didn't fucking pick it I'm like what is happening oh well I didn't I specifically <laughs> didn't pick it because I have popped off about Cass in a previous undead yeah. episode where we did talk about like famous vampires where we did talk about Vecna and I did do a speech about Cass but yes I do theorize that he is going to be Cass however my issue with Stranger Things is that they tend to not do the thing that we think they are going to do um, mm-hmm. so the fact that everybody thinks that Eddie's going to be Cass or Strahd I think they're going to take it in a completely different direction, but there's just so many key pieces. Like the sword that was found sort of cast, like he's going to have it. Like the fact that he went into battle with a sword and shield, the fact that he was bitten by a bunch of bats. Cause like, again, there's a theory that mm-hmm. Vecna probably also turned him like in the D and D lore too. So it's kind of, anyways, there's, I can, I can yeah. go on forever, but that's the reason why I didn't pick Cass is because I've already popped off in multiple episodes about my theories on Eddie and Cass and just Cass yeah. in general. So. Also, was Cassa Hexblade Warlock because he has the sword that was giving him possible orders? I I, I would say Pack to the Blade, uh, um, like with an intelligent blade. Vecna is not the Raven Queen, right? Like it, it's something very, very different mm-hmm. uh, from a lore standpoint. But I would absolutely play it that way. My favorite fan theory is that Cass and Vecna are ex lovers, yeah. and that that's what all of this is about, right? Like was lovers the, quarrel. Yeah, it was a lovers <laughs> quarrel. Um, based on a gift that was given, which was the sword that was corrupted, because of course it was, because Vecna. And mm-hmm. uh, and this was the fall of his mortal lover, Cass, who then had to use the sword to try to, to kill him, but aim for an eye and hand because he couldn't bear to strike the heart. And like, I, I read some just wild theories about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love I just it. also like, even if it's not even We're a lover's the... quarrel, but it's in my mind, it's it's like the brotherhood thing. Like, yeah. even if you don't do the lover's quarrel like they were in love, like, you would have a hard time killing your best friend, right? Yeah. The person that helped you, like, carried you, like, you would still have a hard time doing that, right? It, so it's, it's an Anakin and uh, and Obi-Wan moment, right? 100%, yeah. right? Like, I was going to ask if your theories were just Megan's fanfic that she wrote. Okay, well, let me... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you don't want to read my fanfics. Come on. But... <laughs> I mean, I probably do. There, there was a lot of. I'm a, I'm a you know single mom now, just on my own. I I could use some fanfics. If you want my smut list, I'll let you know. <laughs> Megan's fanfic includes a whole lot of scooching, but it's not what you think it is. It's a different kind of scooching yeah. and trampling. <laughs> All kinds of trampling. <laughs> Megan, we'll what's talk, your we'll what's your later. second one? All right, my. Oh, yeah, I, I forgot like we have a whole other. We have one, I know, and it's like so much more boring. I feel like we should have just finished with Cass. Anyways, I'm gonna talk about uh, Larlock the Shadow King, which can have some really good fun fanfic to it too. So let me get started. Okay. So as one of the oldest and non-draconic being in Faerun, he's also known as the Shadow King. As I mentioned, he is a human male lich who is the king to the undead inhabitants of the Warlock's crypt. Even though by appearance he is classically all bones and decaying flesh because he is ancient as fuck, he likes to dress fancy. So his clothing will be pristine. Uh, he tends to actually have gems and diamonds around. Like he likes to look good for being an undead, decaying piece of shit. I love that. Uh, <laughs> so he is known to be the most intelligent and strategic planner. He literally has a plan for everything. He has thought of every possible situation that occur and he has figured out a plan that will make things work. And he's a great inventor of all spells and magical items. So you can see why folks would seek out his counsel or like go to him for like questions or concerns or use his churches and occults to kind of like figure out next steps for issues or problems they're having within their societies. But he hates intruders and he hates people asking him for things. <laughs> so, so good luck um asking for anything from him uh in my mind i feel like if you ask something of him he would probably be like no i know what the answer is but i'm not going to give it to you and i'll just kill you and have a nice day but thank you for the quandary that like inspired me to think today you know like... <laughs> in fact his tactics when dealing with people are to use his spells to simply overwhelm them until they can't even attack so we've talked about this a few times with other magical characters and other liches that they use their spells not to fight you, but to like incapacitate you or stop you from being able to do anything. They have no interest in killing you. They live forever. They don't give a shit. So they're just going to bother you until either you go away or you die on your own. So they have spells like haste and time stop and all those ones that just really, really annoy your players. A great way to end up in a pact with him, I thought, is that, of course, he would sometimes use great adventurers to seek out and retrieve magical items for his horde. So I think that a good plot hook would be, you know, you would be one of the groups that he reaches out to saying, I need you to find this item for me. Um, or like one of your members happens to be of the occult saying, hey, yeah, like you're, you are now tasked with going to find me this item. Go find a group of adventurers to go and retrieve this item for me. Because again... He's not going to leave his lair. He's not going to leave his kingdoms or what have you. He's just going to be hanging out, doing his quandaries, looking at his maps, doing his stuff, and then like having other people collect things for him. Right. So mm -hmm. he's given me kind of like the vibes of the the final night at the end of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, who was stuck with the Holy Grail and couldn't go anywhere, but had this like <laughs> protecting yeah. only evil. So yeah, that's... yeah, no, he's very evil. I think that's the, yeah. like, he's very much like he wants nothing to do with you in any way, shape or form. So getting counsel from him would be near impossible. But I feel like he would have thought strategically having people come visit my churches and the people that worship me to give me information is a good idea. So you would be able to visit like a church or a place that worships this person um, because he wants to gather the information that you have, not because he has any interest in actually helping you. So he'd make an interesting warlock patron just because he's all about info and not power. Yes. 
Yeah. So like you aren't going to do like a, a pact of the blade or like a pact of one that's like martial. It's going to be one of the more like talisman or oath of the ancients, just a little more knowledge based kind of thing. Right. So a different way of role playing a warlock, I think. But yeah. Yeah. Not as exciting as Cass. I know we're talking about an old <laughs> bag of bones versus, you know. <laughs> I'm curious to see if we ever run into an NPC that you don't turn into a smut novel somehow. I, I can, okay. Challenge accepted. I can turn anything <laughs> into a smut novel. I will. Guaranteed. <laughs> Between Ellen and I. That was just my we'll entire <laughs> Curse of Strahd was just one giant smut novel. Just. Yeah. You play you Strahd need, for the smut. <laughs> you guys need to know that you've got a sister in arms with Mieka. She's just really, really closed off about it. Like, fuck, some of the shit that she comes up with is fucking wild. We need to unlock it. She is right there with you and Elwyn for this fucking smut novel shit. <laughs> so. Yeah, we need to start a book yeah. club for sure. I the issue is into... that Elwyn's read everything. so I just <laughs> got into them myself, so. Oh, Lord welcome welcome that that's the other side of halloween we've covered creepy undead stuff and warlock patrons and now it's time for smutty costumes yeah give me the slutty smutty halloween costumes yeah. amazing i'm going like, as a sexy evil dragon queen of course phenomenal yeah of course you are yeah um <laughs> megan do you have a halloween costume for this year no but would i love to do a gender bend of cast 100 percent, i would do it yeah i'm just going as myself i guess yeah <laughs> i have not had a halloween costume in about 12 years i keep working halloweens at yeah. spirit halloween or fright nights or something because i love Halloween. i do the whole season mm -hmm. but it means that i'm fucked up on halloween itself i never do a go to a party never go to get drunk I, I never get to put on a costume so um but this year i'm not doing it i'm like what are we gonna do what yeah i'm not doing halloween this year either unfortunately it's on i was invited to two parties it's on a school <laughs> night you know yeah. Like... yeah it lands in the middle of the week and yeah. fuck knows i am not going to a club in downtown vancouver on the saturday See, beforehand that's a i have two different versions of halloween though as a mom so i have the like parties with my friends where i get to wear the sexy costumes and then i have the handing out candy with my kids or taking them around the block costume mm -hmm. that has to be a lot more toned down <laughs> yeah but that one's you only got a couple more years of that before they're off going to their own parties right You're yeah yeah but then i'll just be like handing out candy or something so yeah this halloween though and ellen's gonna hate me for saying this out loud she's getting married on the 29th which is our weekend halloween um and i get to dress up i guess as a cult leader who marries them <laughs> Ooh. you're the officiant i'm the officiant <laughs> nice so I, at first I asked if I could wear a dress with shoulder capes and go like the whole like church look. And I, in the end, I found, I picked a regular dress, but like at the end, I really want to have the... With blood red robes, you're doing it wrong. No, mm -hmm. I'm wearing all black. So it's going to be, yeah. So you definitely need a cape. I, I do have a dress that has a cape on it, but it's going to be so uh -huh. annoying to walk around in afterwards because it's attached. Yeah. You can't. Oh yeah. No, just get a cape that you can like walk up there in and then take off yeah so i didn't get that unfortunately i did i'm just with a regular but anyways just, that's my halloween costume is i am twirl a, around the dance floor with a cape yeah i am a cult leader who's marrying my best friend <laughs> nice. there you go that's my halloween this year i'll bring a sword <laughs> oh can you marry them with a sword like like uniting them yeah <laughs> let's get like a little like one of those like one of the envelope openers and just <laughs> 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 Uh, by the power invested in me but no one but myself you are now married 
because I say so. Yeah. yeah, because I said so. Here we go. Good luck, everybody. But anyways, any final thoughts or inspirations based on all of the beautiful warlock items that we talked about today? I have a lot of inspirations, but we probably shouldn't talk about them on air. I'll message Dude, you later. <laughs> I now want to build. I, I now want to build a warlock that worships. I just want to build myself the warlock that worships Cass. Yeah, but like her goal is to just be with Cass and just, just constantly write fanfic Cass about him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he knows, and he's just like, oh, yeah. you again. <laughs> I'm not, I can't even stand in judgment because I'm over here with the Raven Queen doing my own thing. So I know, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. You popped off with a 20-minute novel, a novella about how much this Raven Queen. <laughs> the, the, the Raven Queen is probably the top three requests that we've had in the last four years yeah. to, to like cover this, cover this, cover this. And I have pushed it and pushed it. Like a deep dive into Fane, a deep dive into Drow are, are the other two. Like mm-hmm. we have just been keeping those at arm's length for a while. Yeah. So finally happy to be able to cross this one off the list. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. So that's all for our discussion on Warlock patrons. Make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get, and have a happy Halloween. From the followers of Cass, happy Halloween. Yeah. Megan, you go as Cass and I'll go as the Raven Queen. (gasps) I was going to go as the Raven Queen. I knew it. I knew you would. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Casey needs to go as Strahd. Oh my god! We we have to get Casey a a D and D NPC to fawn over like you guys have. I feel like there's. I'm trying to rack my brain. I I think there's a giant one that she loves, but I can't remember what it was. It was one of the fire giants that we talked about that she was. I do remember her saying something about fire giants. Yeah, in in one of our. Everybody's (laughs) got one. Everybody has their fangirl moment. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, we have multiple, but sure. I'm just gonna say if we, if and when we get another season of um, Stranger Things, and if they pop Cass off as Eddie, mm-hmm. you're gonna have an all caps fucking just heyday for me. Because like one, I had a crush on Eddie as soon as he was introduced as a character, and then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, now you're gonna connect it with my favorite D and D character. I'm gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle this much fan girl. <laughs> you need to just not even bother trying to type. Just send us a video of you screaming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just have... not going to hear from you because you're just going to be in a cantatonic state. I know. Thanks to Adam, though. Like, I have, I could, I could dress as Eddie for Halloween because I have a jean jacket. I have the Stranger Things shirt now. And I just need, mm-hmm. I have jeans and I can just wear my, my Air Force, my white Air Force ones. I have an Eddie costume. Like, I can be Eddie for Halloween if I wanted to. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to be now. Thank you for that. I'm Elwin, sorry. I'm going to dress up as Eddie for your wedding. <laughs> <laughs>
Take us away, Peps, whenever you're ready. Oh, guys, don't yawn at first. <laughs> oh, don't get me fucking scared. Dude, it's like, it's noon where you're at. What is your problem? It's 1.15. <laughs> it is 10 a.m. for me, ma'am. <laughs> I've also only had one coffee today, and it came from Burger King, so I don't know how actual, it just tasted like chocolate milk. Sock water. Um, so I don't know. It just was straight chocolate milk, I'm pretty sure, with ice in it. Um, our, our Burger King does not have high enough turnover for me to drink the coffee there. I know it sits yeah. there for days. Yeah. yeah. No thanks. <laughs> Probably same, but I was desperate. See you next Tuesday. <laughs>